you would, please open your Bibles to Colossians 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 14 today. And we'll be starting a new side series today as we look at the book of Colossians. Uh, My hope is to go through this short book over the next several times that I preach. It's one of the shorter letters in the New Testament, so that may be tangible. Uh, If you don't have your scripture with you, you can always pull it up on your phone, where it is also in the bulletin as well, so you can follow along. Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is the faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thus far, the word of God is living and active. It is the word that has come to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that through this word you would speak to us that you would take a word written to a church many centuries ago and use it as it is still living, as it is still important for us. Use it in our lives to convict us, to conform us, and to comfort us in the love of Christ. We pray that you would do all of that this morning through your power, through your spirit. Jesus' name, amen. Anytime we're starting a new book, it's helpful to take a look at the context and ask those broad questions. What is this letter about? Why was it written? What does this letter have to do with us today? Well, the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. You can see that in the first verse there. And Timothy was with him. They were in Rome. Uh, It's likely that this was written around 62 AD when Paul was in prison in Rome. And Paul never actually visited Colossae. 
He says uh, later on, chapter 2, verse 1, that those in Colossae as well as those in the surrounding towns had not seen Paul face to face, but they had heard the gospel that he had preached. The gospel was entrusted to Epaphras. He's the one there, the, the faithful minister, the, the brother, the one who had, had borne the gospel. So Epaphras might have heard Paul speak, preach the gospel somewhere, uh, possibly in, in Ephesus. Ephesus is fairly close to Colossae. And Epaphras brought it back to these people. The gospel was spreading. It was carried by Paul and other disciples of Jesus into the far places of civilization. God was setting on fire the world by his gospel. And this gospel would kindle the hearts of his children throughout the kingdoms. And here was Colossae, located about 80 miles north of the Mediterranean Sea in what was broadly called Asia, now known as Turkey. Colossae used to be a bustling city. It had a lot of, at one point, a lot of trade, a lot of business, and a lot of spiritualism. Uh, That had died down over the years, and at this point it wasn't as big a city. But there was still a lot of those remnants, a lot of spiritualism, a lot of paganism in that community. The ideas and the beliefs of the world were fundamental to life in Colossae. And if you were against the flow, against that culture, you could expect to be mistreated, hated, and even blacklisted. If you hadn't made the connection yet, the culture surrounding the modern church increasingly looks as hostile and deadly and just as seductive as the culture the Colossians were living in. One of the main problems with the Colossians was that they started to add things to the gospel. They had heard the gospel, they had believed it, they had had true faith, and yet they wanted more. They wanted more sophistication or more mysticism. They wanted more power. They started to believe what the culture was saying to them, that the simple Christian faith was just too childish, and it couldn't be true. So they started to add things here and there to appease their critics. If they added just a little bit, then it wouldn't seem so bad to the culture around them. How true that is of our world today as well. When they started to slip, Epaphras, the one who had brought the gospel to them from Paul, uh, he decided that he needed a little bit of help. So he went to Rome, he went to Paul, and told him about the church in Colossae. And this is the first time that Paul had really heard about the church about their true faith and about the fruit that had been brought forth out of the gospel, but also about these false gospels that were creeping into the church, subtle practices and ideas that undermined the true gospel. So Paul, as he often does, picked up his pen and wrote to them a loving, a kind letter. This letter... uh, is the letter that we'll be studying, and and through it, I hope that we might too be encouraged to hold fast to the true gospel. So as we begin to dive into the letter, we'll be looking at the core of what Paul wants the Colossians to know. These first couple verses uh, are kind of an introduction. He he outlines a lot of the things that he's going to be talking about, going deeper into throughout the rest of the letter. 
So out of this sure gospel foundation, the Colossians' faith and fruit may continue to grow and abound amidst the deceptions of the world. And that is what we must learn as well. That out of the sure gospel foundation, our faith and our fruit may continue to grow and abound amidst the deceptions of the world. I'm going to divide up the passage today into three themes. And we'll go through those. First, we'll see the increasing faith. Second, the increasing fruit. And third, we'll see the increasing gospel. So let's look first at the increasing faith. After the introduction there, after the first two verses, verses 3 through 8, Paul begins the body of his letter by showing sincere joy because of the Colossians' faith. He says in verse 3, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Like I said, Paul had recently heard of the faith of the Colossians from Epaphras, and he's excited. He's truly, genuinely excited that the church is growing. Even though Paul himself is unable to continue his missionary work throughout the region, others have taken the torch of the gospel and have continued what Paul and others had started. Even though Paul had not visited Colossae himself, he was overjoyed to hear that the gospel continued to spread and that the faith of the saints continued to grow. Paul is so overjoyed, in fact, that he tells them that he has not stopped pouring out thanksgiving when he prays for them. That statement in itself is a little bit amazing. I mean, it's surprising. How often do you break out in thanksgiving for the new Christians across the world, those that you've never met before, Christians in places that uh, are persecuted, in places that are difficult for the church to exist? It's a little easier maybe when someone close to you, maybe a relative or a child, expresses true faith for the first time. There's that sense of excitement, the sense of fellowship with that person. Maybe a brother or a sister has believed for the first time. But even with those close to us, we may not regularly express that kind of a joy that Paul is expressing here. That joy in their faith. Paul's expression of thanksgiving for the Colossians' faith reveals how highly he values their faith, the importance of that faith. You know, we often get excited about the things that are important to us. If you're expecting a, a wonderful Christmas gift, if you know that you're going to get that special Christmas gift, you're going to be excited about it. And after you open it, you're going to be thrilled about it and express thanks, and joy. You can see here that Paul's enthusiasm is real and deep. Every time he prays for the church, he's overcome with joy. From our earthly perspective, it can be difficult to see the glory of new and growing faith. One of the challenges about the invisible church is that it is, in fact, invisible. Um, Jesus said in Luke 10 that even the angels rejoice over the repentance of a sinner. And yet, maybe it's a little harder for us to see that goodness. 
Perhaps Paul had a unique gift in recognizing the faith of the saints for what it was. Or perhaps the years of missional ministry, toiling to exhaustion, had trained Paul to see the beauty of genuine faith. Paul recognized that God was growing the faith of the Colossians. We always thank God when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. While Paul was writing to the church, in a sense, to, uh, to discipline them, to correct them, to bring them back to true theology, he would not chastise them without first assuring them of his confidence in their faith, that their faith was real. It's a beautiful thing to see God, uh, Paul's love poured out to them. Paul wanted the Colossians to remember that their faith uh, the faith that they had at the beginning was the true faith. That it wasn't based in philosophies or mysticism, but it was, in fact, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And it continues in verse 5, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. The Colossians had grown used to the foundations of their faith. They had started to neglect the life-changing truth of the gospel. So Paul gently, kindly reminded them of their faith that they had at the beginning. But his purpose in telling them that he thanks God for their faith is really two-pronged. It's to remind them, but it is also to call them to grow, to call them to be encouraged in faith, to see their faith continue to grow. In, in verse 6 and following, he says uh, that this gospel has come to them as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as also does among you since the day you heard it and then understood the grace of God in truth. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't say that he hopes that their faith is increasing, but he is sure that it is increasing. Since the day that they heard of the truth and understood the grace of God and the power of God, it has been working in their hearts to increase their faith and to draw them closer to God. Paul's expectation of their faith growing not only shows his trust in the Spirit working in them, but it also expresses his expectation that this is how the Christian life must be lived. It must be lived growing in faith. The hard part for us is that we can't just sit back and let God take, take control. It's not like we can hand our lives to God and just expect him to give us more maturity, more faith, more growth in the Spirit. We must be practicing our faith, increasing our understanding and practice of it. It can take a great many hours to be proficient at a skill. Uh, when I first started learning to play violin, I would spend a half an hour every day working, getting better at it, and that half hour was brutal. Um, 
My mom's smiling over there. It was all that I could do to work on one problem spot in a song. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. One spot in, in twinkle, twinkle, little star. It was all I could do. And as time went on, my skills began to improve a little bit. And as I grew in my skill, my love for the instrument grew. And soon I found that playing didn't always feel horrible. It became exciting. It became something that I loved to do. When I was spending several hours every day practicing my craft, later on, several years later, it wasn't so much a chore, but an expression of my desire to grow and to master those skills. But as will always happen, life changes, responsibilities grow, and I don't practice every day anymore. While I have retained many of the skills that I learned, the proficiency, the polish, the flourish isn't there anymore. I've grown rusty. I may still be able to play the same songs, but I fudge the parts that are a little difficult. For we aren't diligent to practice our faith. It too can get rusty. If we don't spend time daily exercising our faith, we can have to fudge the hard parts. We have to, it feels like we have to lean on our own power. And that isn't true faith. We start to worry or fear, start to put our trust in other things. So let me ask us this morning, do we take time to examine where our faith is weak? Do we consider where our faith needs to grow. Paul's desire for the church is not to grow weary of exercising and practicing their faith, but to have a robust habit of meditating on the hope laid up for us in heaven. And on this grace, the, the grace of the gospel and the truth of the gospel that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus, how often do you consider the glory of God, the hope that is laid up for you. Do I think to myself, man, I'm really struggling with my finances, putting my finances in God's hands, and take the time to meditate on God's word and promises? Do I ask God to help me trust in him? And then search out in scripture and meditate on the passages where God says, if he clothed the flowers of the field, how much more will he not also care for me? Or since he has given me salvation in Christ, how will he not also give me all that is good for me? Or maybe it's not about finances. Maybe I'm really struggling to feel overwhelmed with all the things on my plate. You know, this past week I had several meetings. It was a presbytery week. Our regional presbytery met youth group on Wednesday night, hundred tiny things to check off the list, and preaching on Sunday. Uh, I definitely felt that this week, overwhelmed with the list of things to do. I could easily be upset by any surprise that interrupts my schedule, get angry because of things that come up that I didn't expect. But I can also take it to God, and when I take it to God, my whole perspective changes. 
Instead of having to figure out how to fit everything in, I have to trust him because he's made me finite. He's made me that I have to trust in a savior. I'm not the savior. I have to trust in Christ. I have to trust in him that he gives me interruptions to my plan. They're by his design. And those are opportunities for grace. Maybe it's these things, maybe it's something else. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul wants us to trust and have faith in Christ more and more. He knows that God holds his beloved and causes their faith to grow. So be diligent. Be diligent, therefore, in practicing your faith. Let the hope of the gospel be the nourishment that causes your faith to be firm and full of life. And your faith will become the foundation of your walk with the Lord. Out of your increasing faith comes increasing fruit. And that's the second point that we have this morning, increasing fruits. Let's look at those next verses. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 together. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Baphras had told Paul how the Colossians had a great love for the church. They loved the saints. This was a great example of their faith. Paul comments that it's, it's almost a unique part of the faith that these Colossians have. Yet Paul doesn't just give them a pat on the back and send them on their way. Again, he presses them further and shows his expectation of how the Christian life is to be lived. When he prays for them, he prays continually, he gives thanks for them, but he prays that they would continue to grow and their knowledge and wisdom, so that they may walk in the manner worthy of the Lord. He knows that God will sanctify his children, but he also expects that the Colossians will pursue holiness. There's both parts. God sanctifies, but we also must pursue holiness. And there's really four ways that Paul highlights what walking in holiness looks like, uh, what that's walk in a manner worthy of of the Lord looks like. First, producing abundant fruit. Second, increasing in the knowledge of God. The third, being strengthened for patient endurance. And fourth, giving thanks for their own salvation. While Paul may have described the Christian life in other ways, he does it in other, uh, other ways in other letters, I think he chose these four particular actions specifically for the Colossian church, specifically because of their unique context and their unique struggles. They seem particularly appropriate for a church struggling to stay firm in their faith amidst an aggressive culture. And I think that's why we should pay attention to them as well. So first, bearing fruit in every good work. Now I want to point out here before I talk about the fruit. There's, I'm using fruit in two different categories, in a broad sense, the fruit of the Christian life. Uh, but also here, he, he narrows in in a more particular sense. 
the fruit that is bearing fruit in every good work. Paul will unpack in the rest of the letter some of the good works that he desires to see the Colossians bear fruit in, uh, from standing firm in the face of worldly traditions, caring for one another, or walking in purity and righteousness. Paul desires that their fruit would reflect their faith. And Paul desires that their fruit may be increased in every good work. Uh, We don't get to pick what areas of life that we will act like a Christian. We don't get to be a Christian in this one context and then not in this other context. We are not bearing good fruit when we give generously if at the same time we refuse to forgive those who have wronged us. If we are acting like a Christian in one area and not in another, our fruit is not truly reflecting the gospel that it is founded on. The fruit or the results of our actions will show if we are truly pursuing God or if we are doing the work out of our own power. So Paul wants their fruit to increase in every good work. Second, we must continue to increase in the knowledge of God. Uh, Calvin says here about this this section uh, that they have not arrived at such a perfection as not to stand in need of further increase. He applies that to us as well. He says that all believers should draw from this a common exhortation that we must always make progress in the doctrine of piety until death. We are not there yet. Even though we know that we don't know everything, sometimes we act as if we do. Yet again, Paul gently encourages us that we must grow, we must continue to study and be more knowledgeable in who God is, the knowledge of God. Third, we must be strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy. That's passive. This is not by our effort, as if we could grow a thicker skin to endure longer. But rather, it is according to his glorious might. The Christian life is full of suffering, of pain, of anguish. And it takes a lot of patience and endurance to live like Christ. Not only do we face the ridicule of unbelievers and the hatred of the enemies of God, but this world is broken. Sickness and suffering are fundamental to the life in a sin-ridden world. But God is mighty. He is able to save even from these things. It is according to his glorious might that we can be strengthened to endure and even to endure with joy. Because our suffering is not meaningless. It is every bit of it, the work of God in our lives to sanctify us, to draw us, and ultimately to show his glory. All of your suffering will be redeemed, will be made right, and the good and joy will far outweigh the sorrow. God says in Isaiah 51 
and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, I am he who comforts you. The fourth fruit that must increase is thanksgiving to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Just as Paul has continually poured out thanksgiving every time he prays for the Colossians, they too must begin to grow in thanksgiving. I said it before that this seems remarkable, that Paul is able to truthfully say that he thanks God every time he lifts the Colossians up in prayer. But Paul has grown in that practice. That isn't something that is natural to our sinful nature, but as we grow in our understanding of who God is, what he's done, the great cost of making us qualified to share in this inheritance we will begin to grow in thanksgiving. We won't be able to help it. And yet we still are responsible to grow in it. He encourages us, grow in your thanksgiving for what God has done. Again, I think of my own kids, how thankful I am when they believe in Jesus. As they grow in their faith, my heart cannot help but thank God for that blessing. And I Think, too, of the Compassion International Child that the youth group has, supports. We get letters every once in a while describing his growth, how he is learning about Jesus, how he knows who Jesus is, and how he's growing in his knowledge and understanding of the gospel. I love that. Love to be able to hear how God is working around the world just as he is in my own home. This is the fruit that must increase. And as our faith increases, God will work in us to produce abundant good. And all of this, our faith and our fruit, are founded in the gospel. So let's look at our third point this morning, the increasing gospel in which our faith and fruit are founded. And this, uh, this point will be the shortest. Now, uh, we could have started with the gospel. We could have begun with that. It's the foundation of our faith, but I wanted to put it at the end because if there's anything that you get out of the sermon, I want it to be the gospel. The gospel is everything, and our need for the gospel never, never goes away. Without the gospel, we have no hope. We have no joy. We have no reason for anything and it can be tempting as Christians to think that we've got it. We've understood it. We've heard it. We know the gospel. Now let's move on to something deeper. Let's talk about the richness of, of theology. But Paul reminds the Colossians what the gospel is. He doesn't say, oh, they've got it already. They know what the gospel is. Let's move on. He, he says... He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verses 13 and 14. God delivered us. He ransomed us. 
He paid the price in blood to redeem us. He forgave our sins because Jesus died for our sins. We don't move past the gospel. Now you may wonder, well, maybe the Colossians hadn't really heard the full gospel. Maybe they had just pieces of it. Maybe they're still a young church. But by the time Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, the church there in Colossae had probably been there for about seven or eight years. This was not a young church. This was an established church. The gospel would have been Uh, would have continued to spread and would have been confirmed many times by other sources besides Epaphras. Yet Paul drives them back to the fundamentals of the gospel. He preaches to them again what he would preach to someone who had never heard the good news. A fellow pastor titled his sermon on the opening of Colossians, You Never Graduate from the Gospel. If you think you know the gospel, you want something that's more substantial, you've missed the point. Jesus did it all. There's nothing left for you to do but to live in thanksgiving and joyful service because of what he has done. Now, we live in a world that hates the gospel. It thinks that it's utter foolishness. I know people who are truly shocked, really shocked, that anyone still believes in the Bible, or believes that Jesus actually died and rose again from the dead. Paul calls here the gospel the word of truth, but the world sees it as a book of lies or fairy tales. Paul says the gospel bears fruit and it brings life, but the world sees it as throwing your life away. Paul reminds us that the gospel delivers us, like God delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. But the world calls it closed-mindedness and ignorance. Paul shows us how we are redeemed and forgiven in the gospel, but the world calls us outdated and hateful. Some of you may view the gospel as outdated and hateful as well. First of all, thank you for being here today. But even though you may be skeptical, you must recognize that Jesus is the only one. All the claiming to be religions of the world and all the hopes of the world, Jesus is the only one that did it all. He's the only one that demands that you come to him with nothing because you have nothing to give. He's the only one that can bring you good, real, true good. And he's the only one that can truly be trusted. Christians for the past 2,000 years have put their life in his hands and received a hope for real, abundant, and peaceful life in him. Friends, Christians, you too must prove the gospel to yourself every day. If you're not looking at the gospel and seeing the goodness of grace that is there, you will quickly start to believe the lies that this world is trying to force feed you. Just look at the statistics of people leaving the church. It used to be just the younger generations, but now even the older generations are walking away. They're being affected more and more. 
The world wants you to think of Christianity as something that has no proof, that it's a prop for the weak. But the world cannot sweep away the mountain of evidence, nor the testimony of God's Spirit in our hearts. Who else has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son? Who else has redeemed us and forgiven us completely? Only our God has done this. So to close, Colossians teaches us to come back to the gospel. It's the foundation to all of life. And when we increase the gospel in our lives, when we truly dwell in the gospel, we will be changed. Our faith will grow and the fruit, the good fruit of our lives will be more and more abundant. If you're not yet a Christian, I urge you to examine this gospel. Really come and see what Jesus has done for you. But for you, Christian, increase in the gospel, dig into it, and let it nourish and transform you. Pursue and increase your faith. Practice it. Put it in the work to hone your trust in Christ, forsaking all else. And let your faith increase your fruit, that you may walk with thanksgiving in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let's pray. God, this word is for us. We never graduate from the gospel. We never leave the truth of the gospel. Help us, God, to be reminded daily in every moment of the good news of what you have done for us. God, help us to grow in our understanding of the gospel that our faith may increase. Help us to pursue our faith that our fruit may grow. And help our fruit to grow, not so that we may be glorified or blessed, but so that your name would be honored and glorified among your people and through the entire world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.